So hear the word of the Lord. So when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. I mean, God, once again, we, we come to you as a body, seeking your spirit to teach and kind of like lead us and admonish us and convict us in ways that we need to be convicted, Lord. And so, God, even though we're kind of like continuing this, this topic of trials, difficulties, suffering, sometimes I can feel very weighty, and I pray that, Lord, uh, you would just bring a peace into them, just like we just got on singing, that they probably need in this time. And God, help them, Lord, to see how they can get on the other side of suffering and be better and not bitter. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do today, and, and I've been conflicted this morning as I'm sitting there kind of thinking through this, this sermon. So, uh, so yeah, I know I've already preached it once, but you're always trying to tweak and do changes uh, even when you go in the second service. So here's what I think James is doing, all right? So I think from verses 3 through 18, the topic or the issue that he's talking about is trials, difficulties, suffering, pain. So it feels like in verse 13, he's jumping to a new topic, and that new topic is temptation, and he's not. So what James is doing is he's dealing with temptation in the midst of trials, suffering, and difficulty. And so you got to know from, um, from the onset, James is not giving us a full understanding of temptation, where it comes from, how you resist it, what do you do with it. That's not what he's doing here. He's limiting his teaching and talking about temptation within the scope and the context of trials and suffering. And so here's what I want to do. I want to stay true to what the text is doing here. I think there's one big kind of idea that James is trying to get across about temptation in verses 13 through 15. And then in verses 16 through 18, what I believe James is doing is he's taking a step back and saying, oh, I, want to, I want to draw out some concluding thoughts with suffering and pain and trials in mind. Are you following me? So he's taking a step back, and he's not making direct connections to the issues of temptation in verses 13 through 15, but those last two verses, 16 through 18, he's taking a wide angle and going, I'm going to run you all the way back to verse 3, and I'm going to bring some concluding thoughts to trials and difficulties and temptation. And the reason why I'm saying that is because it may feel like if you fall asleep, all right, you may remember, we're talking about temptation, and then all of a sudden we're kind of not. Well, that's because that's what James does, and I want to kind of stay true to what the text is saying and show how they all kind of relate here, all right? So you follow me? So one big truth about temptation that James makes, and then we're going to land the plane with making kind of two concluding thoughts 
with this idea of trials, difficulties, sufferings that God brings in our way. So here's the big truth that James is trying to get across about temptation in verses 13 through 15, and that is this. All trials are temptations. All trials are temptations. Now what in the world are you talking about? Look what he says here in verse 13. When tempted, so just like with trials, it's not if tempted, it's when tempted. Temptation is a part of what we experience in this fallen, broken world with sin that still remains in us. No one should say this, that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, Lyle, first big question I have for you is this, is then how do you know that James is not jumping topics? How do you know that James is not going, I'm done with trials, now I want to talk about temptation? Well, the reason why we know that is because the word that is translated temptation in verse 13 is also the same word that's translated trial in verse 2 and 12. So what's the difference, right? Why is it translated trial in verses 2 and 12? And why is it translated temptation in verse 13, 14, and 15? Because of context. There are different nuances to the same word here. So in verses 2 and 12, what James is talking about is something that is outside of us that's bringing about difficulty in our life. So that could be a job loss. Specifically, within this context, it's persecution. These guys are being persecuted by their government extremely because they're Christians. And so the trial, it's defined as trial because it's something that's outside of us that's going against, against us. The reason why it's translated temptation in verse 13, 14, 15 is because he's talking about an inner enticement towards sin. And context is what gives us the clue to translate it temptation and not trial. And so, so what James is concerned with is he wants to make sure his readers resist the temptation that comes along with a trial. And so if you're following my thought, and if you're following the thought of James, one of the questions you probably should be asking is this. So if God is the one who brings and sometimes allows these trials to come in my life, then is God tempting me? Are you following me? All trials are temptations, and if God is the one that's kind of bringing this trial in my life, then is God tempting me? And James gives an emphatic, no, no way. Look what he says here in the second half of verse 13. The reason why we can say no way is God tempting you because of this. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. So God has no desire for sin. There is no way that God can be tempted. He's untemptable. Sin holds no attraction to God. And so then therefore, since sin holds no attraction to God, he will not tempt us. Because temptation has at its aim to destroy and kill you. And that's not God's deal with you. That's not God's plan with you. That's not what God desires with you. He wants you to be whole, mature, growing, living into how humanity is supposed to live. So let's follow me. Follow me here. Yes, God does test us. God tests his kids. We see that in the, with the nation of Israel. We see that even with his own son, Jesus. God tests us. 
But that testing is to produce growth, wholeness, maturity. It is not to destroy us. Temptation has at its aim to bring destruction in your life. Yes, God tests us, but no, God does not tempt us. So then, Lyle, where does temptation come from? Great question. Look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. Get your own Bible. You might want to underline that, even though it's not very encouraging. I know we like to read underline encouraging verses, but this is a truth that we need to hear. Someone is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So it's not God's fault. God's not tempting you. And it's interesting here, isn't it, that James doesn't say it's the devil's fault. Now we know that the devil has a part in our own temptation. Yes, we have an enemy that hates us, wants to kill us, destroy us. But I think what James is trying to do here is trying to bring a corrective that we need to hear because sometimes we have a tendency to put all the blame on the devil. And we say it like this, well, the devil made me do it. And James is going, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. The reason why you sinned is because you wanted to sin. Your sin is your fault. There is no one that can make you sin. The reason why you do it is because you want to. It's out of your own evil desires that we sin. There is no condition or circumstance that we can say that condition, that circumstance made me sin. No, the reason why you sinned in that condition and in that circumstances is because of what James is saying here. You wanted to. You sinned because you want to sin. And all that James is trying to get across here is this, is we, he does not want us to make the mistake and think that the cause of our sin is the occasion. He doesn't want us to make the mistake that, and, and say that the cause for us sinning is because of our occasion or our condition or our circumstance. And the best way I can try to illustrate this uh, try to go back to when you're in school, all right? So, and some of you are in school, and you can relate to this really, really quickly. So, try to go back to when you're in school, and let's say you had a, uh, a history final, all right? That was coming. And so, you made up in your mind, um, like at times I did. Um, it's like, ah, I know history. This is gonna be easy. No biggie. I'm not gonna study that much. I'll get up maybe a half hour before the final, and do a little cramming, I'll be fine. So let's say you do that, and you roll in there, and you find out that the test is a little harder than you anticipated. Actually, it's a whole lot harder than you anticipated, and you actually flunk the test. You make a big flagger, big F, right? Now, you could say this. You could say, if the teacher hadn't given me the test, then I wouldn't have failed. You follow me? Like you could say, and maybe you've said this or you've heard someone say this, if my teacher hadn't given me the test, then I wouldn't have failed. And so the blame 
for failing the test is on the teacher for giving the test. So the occasion, the teacher giving a test, is the cause of my failure. Now, anyone with a sane mind, right, or if you have kids here and you're somewhat of a healthy parent, all of us have unhealthiness about us, amen? So you're somewhat, a little laughter there, not much, a somewhat a healthy parent. I'll just put on myself, I'm somewhat unhealthy and a lot unhealthy, all right? But you would hear that if your kids would say that, and you'd go, no, 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 hold on, everybody. No, 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 no. The test is the occasion of the failure, not the cause of the failure. The reason why you failed the test is because you did not put the time into studying and preparing and getting ready for the test. And what James is trying to say here is this, that our trials, that our difficulties, that our sufferings can be the occasion for you to sin, but it's not the cause of your sin. You are. You are. The reason why you may respond in sinful ways toward a difficulty that's going on in your life is not God's fault, and it's not the difficulty's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. I sin because I want to. Now, some of us may be hearing going like, all right, well, first of all, what's the big deal, number one, that could be kind of going on in your mind? Some of us may be thinking like, I don't ever blame God for my sin, right? It's like, I don't, maybe other people do that. Maybe the guy sitting next to me or my wife or my husband, but that's not me, right? Well, I, I just push a little bit because that was my first response until the Lord convicted me throughout this week, right? Because you think about Adam and Eve, what did they do? God put a tree in the garden not to tempt them, but to test them. And when they failed, what did they do? Did they own their sin? No. Adam says, hey, this wife you gave me caused me to sin. Think about the nation of Israel. They're out in the, the desert. What are they doing? They're complaining. They're complaining. And in essence, what they're saying is, God, if you had not rescued us and left us in slavery, then we wouldn't be out in this desert sinning against you. It's your fault that we're complaining. And I would say that we're not much different than Adam and Eve in the nation of Israel if we'll just take some time to do some self-reflection. A lot of our complaining has at its root blaming something against God. And so why is this a big deal? Why is James bringing this out? Why is he talking about this issue of trial and temptation and and making sure we're owning our sin? Well, I'll tell you why. Because James is after, and so is God, he is after a maturity. He wants you to grow. Remember what we said last week? Like God will bring a trial and a difficulty in your life so that you will see the gap between what you say you believe and how you're living. God sees it, but we're blind to it. So God will bring and allow a difficulty to come in your life 
to expose you to that gap so that you will mature, so that gap will shrink some, so that you will grow, so that you will live kind of an integrated life and not this fragmented life. And what James is saying here is this, as long as we don't own our sin when we respond in sinful ways toward trials and difficulties, he's saying, look, you're going to get stuck. You're going to end up cynical. You're going to end up jaded. You're going to end up bitter. You're going to stay on the immaturity island, so to speak, right? I mean, if you've got kids here, one of the areas that you begin to see them or one of the ways that you begin to see them maturing as a child is when they begin to own their stuff. When they take responsibility for their actions and they stop blame shifting. They stop saying, well, the reason why I did it like this is because blah, 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 whatever it is. Well, it's my brother's fault, my sister's fault, or, you know, you didn't get me in bed in time. You know, you birthed me into the world. That's why it's so horrible. Whatever it is, right? You can tell when your kid is maturing when they begin to own where they have wronged something or did something wrong or sinned. And it's the same way as an adult. Look, if we respond in sinful ways when trials and difficulties come and we try to shift that blame to either God or someone else, then listen to what James is saying. You're not going to mature. You're going to be 70 years old and a bitter person. Because life will be hard. It'll punch you in the gut. And if you're responding in sinful ways and trying to shift, oh, not me, no, that's not my fault, no. And ultimately, you blaming God, James is going, look, look, man, mm -mm, you're not going to be whole. You're going to be very fragmented. You're going to be really angry. You're going to be really cynical. And so look, I, I think it's good for us just to stop briefly here. And maybe you can take this down and spend some time over the course of this week just kind of thinking about it. Like how are you responding right now to a trial, a difficulty, a pain, a suffering that's going on in your life? How are you responding? What's going on in your interior world? What's your posture? And look, guys, look, like James is not, I mean, the hard thing about this book for me personally is I feel like, man, it just kind of comes across really hard. You know, you feel like you're, you're rolling in here every morning and saying, all right, get ready to get hit in the stomach again, right? Hallelujah. And I'm the instrument to kind of bring this to you. So I'm excited. Amen. And I'm sweating like a freakazoid up here, right? And so, but, but, but here's what you got to see. And you even see this in, in what he says in verse 16, where he says, dear beloved, Dear brothers and sisters, there's a, there's a genuine love that comes out in James for his people that he's writing to. And so, yes, these are hard truths, but James is speaking these in a very pastoral, kind, loving way. And what we need to hear as followers of Jesus Christ is, look, we're safe with God. We have nothing to be fearful of. If you're a Christian here, you're in Christ, you're fully loved, you have obeyed the law in its fullness because you're in Jesus. And so you can hear these hard truths without fear of God rejecting you. You can hear some of this and do some real searching in your own heart and soul and say, all right, yeah, man, I have been shifting blame. And in fact, I've been blaming God. 
And here's the good news. God's not like done with you because he's not done with his son. And you're in his son, Jesus Christ. And you can own that in a way that's going to produce health and wholeness in your life. So spend some time this week. How are you responding to a trial, a difficulty, suffering that's going on in your life? All trials are temptation. And my sinful response to the trial is not God's fault. It's mine. I've got to own it. So that's this big idea about temptation in the context of trials and difficulties. And now what he does in verses 16 through 18, this is how we're going to close, and I'll be quick, is he kind of gets back to a larger view here. He goes back and says, okay, I want to sum up what I've said here from verses 3 through 15. I want to kind of bring some, some, some two truths here that will help you because here's what he's after, right? The same thing that all of us want. We want to be better on this side of suffering and not bitter. We want to be whole and moving toward maturity on this side of suffering, not someone that's continually fragmented and bitter and cynical and jaded. And he kind of ends this little section with giving us some two truths of how we step into that. How do we live in so that when we are going through a trial, through a difficulty, we can get on the other side and be better, growing, mature, whole, not cynical, jaded, and angry. And the first one is found in verse 17, and is this. We've got to open our eyes and see the who that is behind every good gift. We've got to open our eyes and see the who that is behind every good gift. Look what he says here in verse 16. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. And, and so you've got to ask the question, is, is, is James pointing backward or forward? And I want to say he's doing both. It's kind of the connecting phrase. So don't be deceived. God's not tempting you. That's, that's your deal, Right? But don't be deceived, and he's pointing forward to verse 17. Look what he says here in verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not, excuse me, does not change like shifting shadow. And so what James is trying to say here, if we're going to endure a trial to where we get on the other side and we're better, not bitter, then we've got to open our eyes and see the who that is behind every good and perfect gift. Why, Lyle? Why is that so important? Why is James bringing this as kind of a landing here? Because whenever you go through a trial, what does your own evil desires and the enemy whisper to you? God's not good. That's what he said to Adam and Eve. God's not good. He's holding back. He's not for your joy. I know you've got a world full of yeses, but he's giving you one no, right? He's holding back. And that's exactly what you hear, what I hear when we're going through a real difficult time, is that God is not good. And listen to me. When you begin to doubt someone's character, you will doubt his word. And when you begin to doubt and deny his word, temptation is over and sin has been birthed. And sin never gives life. It always brings loss. So whenever I begin to doubt someone's character, I will doubt his word. And once I begin to doubt his word, temptation is over and sin is birth. And what James is simply saying 
He's saying, look, guys, even in the midst of difficulty and suffering and pain, and you kind of hear this little voice in you, God's not good and God's not good. James is saying, no, open your eyes and look around you and make the connections and see the who that is behind every good and perfect gift. So guys, look, all of us in this room have experienced this. There have been seasons when we, you're in the midst of suffering and some good music brings some healing, doesn't it? And it's not always Christian, right? Sometimes Christian music can make you draw heave, but sometimes <laughs> it can make you happy. But look, this is what James is saying. Listen to me. Look, as a Christian, make the connection. Get to the who behind that good music, and that good music is good music because it's from God. Every good, every, every good and perfect gift is from Him. I mean, you think about like even the goodness of friendships during difficult seasons, during hardship, that brings not full healing, but sometimes it brings the healing you need just to make it through one more day. And James is going, look, make the connections. I know you're doubting the goodness of God right now because of the circumstances you're going through, but make the connections. You have good friends around you that are helping you endure that, and the who behind those good friends is not you, it's not your good friends, it's not chance, it's not karma, it's God. God is behind that. And making those connections helps you endure so that when you get on the other side of suffering, you're not bitter but you're better. I remember, um, and I know I'm talking a lot about Kay uh, this month because this is her birthday, so there's a lot of processing that we always do during this month. And, and sometimes my processing happens up here a little bit, like this wasn't necessarily a part of my notes because um, sometimes I feel like, ah, I don't know how much I want to share. Sometimes I feel kind of weird up here sharing this kind of stuff, but that's okay. I'm just stepping in, all right? And maybe that's weird even saying that. I don't know. You're probably going like, what's he talking about? So moving on, uh, my favorite word, uh, or favorite two words, moving on here. Um, there's the five-month stretch that we had K from May to October, and some of you know what I'm talking about because if you have children, you're, you're doing this even now. Uh, it's just full of a lot of doctor's visits, you know what I'm saying? So you're, you're just in and out, in and out, because we just knew something was not right. We didn't know what was going on. But, you know, we had two healthy boys, and so you kind of know what a baby's supposed to be doing at this age and all that kind of stuff. We just, yeah, we just knew something was not right. And our two oldest, Michael Bryan and Joseph, were five and three at that time. And I remember, it was probably, I don't know exact date, probably in July. Uh, I just remember being outside with my two oldest boys in their backyard, and they were just loving life, laughing. They were probably fighting, but that's just kind of what brothers do, right? Laughing, enjoying life. You had these little car, battery cars, and they just ride all over the place. And I just remember kind of in the middle of that, going up to them and just hugging them and weeping. And I know they probably thought it was like, what in the world is going on with my dad right now? He's breaking down like. But I, but I saw them, even in that moment, I didn't see it, but looking back on it, like those two little guys were God's gifts to both Kathy and I, and in some ways, they helped us endure 
some of the most difficult seasons that we've ever experienced. And all James is trying to do here is like, if you want to make it on the other side, right, and fight the temptation, right, that's going on in us, that God's not good, look, you've got to make the connections. A Christian is someone who has learned not to just enjoy every good and perfect gift, but listen, but to see the who that is behind it. And when you understand that, you can endure anything. So first closing thought here. He's laying on these verses. Open your eyes. Open your eyes and see the who that is behind every good and perfect gift. Second one, we'll end with this one. Open your eyes to the hope that is before you. Now, that sounds weird. Where are you getting that? Well, look what verse 18 says, all right? So he, talking about God, chose to give us birth to the word of truth, and that literally means God birthed us. So God birthed us by the word of truth, which is the word of the gospel, this good news of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So he graciously and freely has given us new life. Now why? What was God's purpose in that? Why did he birth us from the word of truth? What's his purpose? Well, we see that, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. And so let me explain what, what, what I think's going on here. First fruits, all right, kind of refers back to the Old Testament where it would be an offering that was made to God. So they would bring kind of their first produce of the harvest to God, and they would give that as a sacrifice to him. And they would do that as a sign of a thanks for how you've provided for us, as well as it's a hope for what is to come, right? So if it was a healthy harvest, man, it was a sign, a hope for what is going to come later on. Both of those were at play, giving thanks for what is now and a hope for what is to come. So when James says that we are a kind of first fruit of all that he's created, basically what he's saying is this, is that if you're a Christian here and you're in Christ, then you are kind of the first tangible fruits of a work that God has begun, but he's not completed yet. We've, we've started it, but it's not the end. We've begun it, but it's not the end. And, and it's a, a way for us to have a hope that is tangible, that is real. It's not like a a Disney World hope where it's kind of like wishful thinking kind of stupid stuff that does nothing for us in life. But it's a hope that is grounded. So the first fruits, us as a redeemed people where God is working in us, is also a way for us to look forward knowing there's more coming and the best is yet to come. There is a hope that is before us that we need to see that will help us endure through trials and difficulties. And some of you are going, okay, how does that help? Right? How in the world does that help? Well, here's how it helps. I would say that some of the most painful things that we can experience in this life is when good, godly desires are not met. Sometimes those are the hardest to deal with in this life. So some of you in this room want to be married. That's a good desire. That's a godly desire. And it's been years and those desires are still not met. Dude, that's hard. That is really painful. Some of you in this room want children. That's a good desire. That's a godly, God-honoring desire. 
And every month, you're reminded of how that desire is not met. Because that's painful. That's really hard. Some of you in this room, you want a job that, that kind of like uses your gifts, right? Like God's wired you in certain ways and you've got certain giftings, but your job just does not engage that. But you're in a situation to where like I got to provide for my family or I've got to pay this bill. I can't just leave and go find a job that fits my gifting, so to speak. I got food to put on the table. You with me? Those are good, godly desires. And in this world, if they're not met, it can be really, really painful. So here's the question. How can I avoid being cynical if those desires never get met here? One writer says this, there are no finished symphonies in this life. Follow me? Your dreams don't always come true, even though you hear it all the time in our culture. Just believe in yourself and your dreams. Bull crap is what I want to say to that. I don't say crap very often. That was kind of weird that came out right now, but it's true. Like, you go to third world country and tell that to them who are scrounging through garbage to make a meal for the day. Oh, if you would just believe your dreams would come true. Garbage. That's a lie from our Western culture. And it's seeped into Christianity, and we find ourselves really angry when our desires are not fulfilled in this life. And then what happens? Temptation comes in, and we want to fulfill those desires in sinful ways. That's why the command to wait is all over the Bible. Because you're going to have to wait. Because you may not have all your desires and your wants met in this life. And that includes good ones. So, so how do I not become cynical? I'll tell you how. You have a living hope. That's how. You have a hope that is in a person, not in some kind of abstract idea. You have a hope that's rooted, it's grounded. And we're the first fruits of that. So the, so the, the, the small changes that we see in our lives are the first fruits of what is to come. Like, there's more to come, and that hope is real, it's tangible, it's visible even here. And so these godly, wonderful longings that all of us have, I want to say they will be met, but maybe not in this life. So look, guys, look. Look, I desire to have a daughter. My wife desires to have a daughter. That's a good desire. I remember in that little stint, we were at a wedding, and I was participating in the wedding. I can't remember if I did the wedding or if I was just a groom or what I was. I cannot remember. I'm getting old. doesn't matter. I do remember this in that wedding. I remember thinking this. God, will I ever be able to walk Kay down the aisle? And this was a period of time where we got some news saying, look, I don't know if your daughter's going to live to four years old. Like, that's a good desire. It's a godly desire. And here's what James is saying here is that, yes, that desire will be met, maybe not in this life. And honestly, guys, I don't know exactly how it's going to be met, but God is not ignoring good, godly desires as his kids, right? He's a good father. He's not going to dismiss this, oh, suck it up, deal with it. No, he's going to see to it in some way. 
And it will even go beyond my imagination to meet those desires that are good, godly, that were not met in this life. So look, guys, look, I'm telling you, you've got to open your eyes and see the hope that is before you because that is the means by which God gives you to endure so that you don't get on the other side and you're cynical, angry, and jaded. Yes, there are no finished sympathies in this life, but here's our hope that they will be in the new heavens and the new earth. God cares about those unmet godly desires and he will see to it that they are met because he's a good dad, he's a good father and that's the kind of hope that helps us endure. Let's pray.